So we're on the third chapter, the yoga of action. What is this class 32? Yeah. So this chapter is called yoga of action. How to perform the right action in life to reduce one's vastness and to reunite with the self, Atman. All of us are different. We all have a different nature, different temperaments. So because of that difference, a twofold path is given by Krishna. Path of action, path of knowledge. If you follow the path of action, ultimately you then end up to the path of knowledge. So really there's only one path. But Krishna explains to Arjuna, rather than telling Arjuna there's only one path and complicating things, is spoon-feeding him this knowledge and making it available in a way that Arjuna understands it. When you give out this knowledge, you have to take into consideration the temperament, the nature of the person you're talking to. If you're talking to a 13-year-old, you'll talk to them differently than you're talking to your partner, your adult. So you would convey this knowledge in a way that the receiver would understand it. So Krishna has to talk to Arjuna in a way he understands it. So last week we covered verses one to three. In verse one, Arjuna asks Krishna, Krishna, you told me that knowledge is the highest and superior to action then why are you encouraging me to fight and kill all my friends and relatives? Why can't I just pursue knowledge? What did we say, anyone? Why can't Arjuna pursue knowledge as given to him? Yeah, Dramesh? His temperament is a, of action, so only action is what he mainly does. Absolutely. Two types of people, introvert, extrovert. Introvert is withdrawn, thinker, contemplator. The path of knowledge is right for this kind of person. Arjuna is a kshatriya, a warrior. Therefore, as Dharma said, a man of action, an extrovert. Therefore, path of action is right for him. Then in verse 2, Arjuna asks, Krishna, I'm really confused. One minute you give me this long, perplexing speech about how knowledge is the highest, and next minute you're telling me to go and act and fight this war. I'm really confused. Just tell me straight, which path am I to take? Which path will take me to the highest state of perfection, to self-realization? Action or knowledge? And then in verse 3, Krishna starts his sermon. He replies, O Arjuna, I have given mankind two paths to spiritual enlightenment. Path of knowledge for the contemplative, introvert, 
referred to as sankhyas and the path of action for the active extrovert referred to as yogis. What is the difference between the two? What makes them extrovert and introvert? What did we say that makes them extrovert and introvert? Dharmesh? It's all based on your desires. Desires. Based on your vasanas. The extrovert, the active, have more vasanas. The thinker has less vasanas. Contemplative. Remember we said the three R's? Everyone remember the three R's? Anyone want to explain quickly the three R's? Receipt, response, reaction. What are the three R's, yeah? As we said, we take in stimuli with our five sense organs. It reacts within us and then we respond. If there's no vasana within, there's no reaction, there's no response. So the more vasanas, the more reaction, the more response, more active you are. So if you have more desires, they're going to be more active. And therefore, for this person, the path of action is given. Karma yoga. Person with less desires, less active. Path of knowledge is given. Dhyani yoga, path of knowledge. Yeah, is that all clear? That's what we covered last week. Any questions? Get everyone on the same page before we begin. Okay, so that was the end of topic one and we now begin topic two. And topic two is called an intellectual appeal for action, verses four to 19. And in this topic, Krishna appeals intellectually to Arjuna to act. He explains to him that as a human being, we have no choice but to act because of our vasanas. How does one get to self-realization? What is the state of self-realization? Vanita? Ultimately, when you have no vasanas, so it's uh, vasanas, when you've got no vasanas left. Perfect. No vastness, no desires. That is the state of self-realization. You can say self-realization is equal to state of actionless, meaning no action is another way of stating that. Does everyone understand? State of self-realization is equal to no action. No vastness, no desires, no thoughts, no action. So, no action. Does that mean if you sit at home, do nothing, you'll reach self-realization? I'm not acting. No action. No. Thomas? You still need to work on your intellect side and think of ways of connecting to yourself. Yeah. I'll put you in a cave, Dharmesh, and I say, no action for you. Will you reach self-realization? Only if I'm concentrating on myself, then yes. But if I'm not doing anything in the cave, I'm thinking about other things in the cave, then no. Absolutely. Vanita, you had something to add? Uh, if you suppress those vasanas, there's still desires that are not completed, so the agitation will even make it worse maybe or still stay there so regardless of physically not taking part in them doesn't mean they go away absolutely so this is what we're covering today so i'm just giving an introduction to what we're going to talk about today yeah the state of actionlessness so in order to understand today's class we need to understand one thing the chronology to action is vasnas which is our inherent vasanas you're born with. Yeah. They manifest as thoughts. The thoughts manifest as desires. And then desires manifest as action. Everyone understand? Your inherent vasanas you're born with, to which you add 
throughout your life and you take away throughout your life. Yeah, we're constantly adding and taking away vasanas. We can reduce them or we can create more. So vasanas manifest as thoughts, manifest as desires, manifest as actions. No action is possible without vasanas. We all, that, we all understand that? No action is possible without vasanas. Any questions on that? Does everyone understand that chronology? Great, because uh, otherwise you'll have problems understanding today's class. Just remember that chronology of action, yeah? Okay, verse four. <clears throat> now, any, any, in any state in today's class, you're not clear, please ask. Yeah, don't be shy, just ask. Or well, you'll find it difficult to understand. Dim samadhi gachati na karma namana ramban neskarm yam purusho snute nachasanyasana deva siddhim samadhi gachati. Not by abstaining from action does man gain actionlessness nor by mere renunciation does he attain perfection, which is what we just said. Krishna explains to Arjuna, one cannot reach the state of enlightenment, state of vasnalessness. There may not be such a word, vasnalessness in an English language. The highest state by renouncing action by abstaining from action, meaning by not acting in life. You cannot reach that state. So this verse has been misunderstood by spiritual people. The word actionlessness has been misunderstood as inaction. People thought that a person becomes self-realization by not performing actions. Suppression. So people stop acting in the name of religion or in the name of spirituality. I'm not allowed to do that. I mustn't do that. I can't do that. People become lazy in the name of religion. They don't know about this chronology of action. They don't understand it. They have vasanas, becomes thoughts, desires, but they don't act on them. They suppress them. And what happens is the result is they become frustrated. Is this what this verse means? Not by abstaining from action does that does man gain actionlessness? What's Krishna saying? It's the opposite of what this verse is saying. You can't reach that state by not acting. You have to act. The state of enlightenment is a state which one can reach when you eliminate, get rid of all your vasanas, when you eradicate your vasanas. Vasanas, as we said, manifest as thoughts, desires, action. So we have no choice in life but to act. We have to act. We can't stay inactive. You heard of the pond stagnant pond 
becomes dirty, putrefied. No life lives in there because it's so bad, dirty, stagnant. Same thing happens to us. You can't stay inactive. You will, what happens when you stay inactive? You become obese, you become ill, you can't move, you can't do nothing. Ultimately, you're finished. So you have to act. Action is the symbol of life. When a person dies, he cannot act, he's dead. But when he's alive, he's acting. So actionlessness actually means the eradication of vasanas, reducing them to ultimate zero. That's what this verse means. Remember, vasanas are the barrier between man and God. We are all God. God plus vasanas equals human being. That's why we have this life, because we have vasanas. Any questions? Yeah, Ramesh. So we need to fulfill our vasanas, good or bad. But we need to do them in such a way that we don't make new ones. Absolutely. Absolutely. So you have to exhaust your vasanas either through acting, fulfilling them, or through knowledge. Or by the laws of life, laws of society. You want to kill someone, the Lord says you cannot. You can't do that. So that forbids you. If you can eradicate your vastness through knowledge, perfect. So by studying the spiritual, spiritual uh, verses in the Bhagavad Gita, but studying spiritual um, doctrines, Vedanta, it helps to eradicate your vastness. By coming to this Sunday class, you're learning how to eradicate your vastness. Does that make sense? What you're learning now is how to help you reduce your vastness. Yeah, Nilam? I have a question um, because uh, Vanitha was saying earlier that, you know, we kind of have to exhaust our vastness, otherwise they could come up again. Um, mm -hmm. But what if we're developing ourselves, learning this knowledge, but we're kind of in um, denial and we think we've, you know, we think we're kind of exhausting our vastness, but actually, we're not. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah, yeah. So you will know. I'll tell you why you will know. Because they will come and nudge you. Your vastas will nudge you. Yeah. You think you've eradicated it today. Tomorrow it'll become even stronger. Okay. And you know you haven't. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> In fact, if you don't act on vastas, it becomes stronger and stronger. If it's one of those vastas which, you know, is something that you have a desire for. Know, which is strong for you. You have a, a weak fastener, it's easy to eradicate with knowledge. I don't need that. It's not for me. But where you have a strong desire, let's say you like shoes. Yeah, you have a strong desire for shoes. More difficult. Every time you pass a shop, you see the shoes, oh, you want to go in and have a look. Yeah. But you don't have a desire for handbags. When it comes to handbag shop, you'll carry on walking. I, I'm, I eradicate my desires for handbags. Yeah, that was easy. Shoes, you find it difficult. Do you see what I mean? So it depends the strength of the vasana. So you can fool yourself. Great, thank you. Yeah. Does that answer your question? Yeah, Nilam? Okay. Yeah, thank you. So this is how it works, the strength of the vasana. And sometimes you have no choice. You have to go and fulfill it. There's no other way. Otherwise, you're frustrating yourself. You have to do it. Think about it in your own lives. You want something. How difficult it is to eradicate that. I want it. I need it. You make all sorts of excuses why you have to have it. You can't fight it. That's the power of the vastness. That's what makes you act, function in life. 
So we're going to take it one step further. So does everyone understand vasanas now? Yeah. It what makes you act in life. Vasanas manifest as thoughts, desires, action. When the relevant time happens. So does anyone know what defines how we act? The quality of the vastness. What defines how one functions? We're taking it one level deeper now, yeah? I think it depends on your karma, how you, maybe your personality. So personality. If, if you're karma is such then you would have to behave in such a manner right or uh, according to your personality you might not have much of a choice in that aspect true anybody else yeah Ramesh. it's the way we achieve that desire by doing it without a negative or a positive response and making sure we don't produce another one through it okay so what, so let's say you have a vasana for something. Different people will act differently on that vasana. What's that based on? Based on your personality. Personality, another word for that? Arunabin? Uh, the three gunas. Three gunas, your inherent nature. We're taking it one step deeper now. What is, how does the vasana manifest in different people? People act based on their inherent nature. This defines the quality of the vasana. You'll understand it when we do the next verse. The nature of vasanas. We're going to try and understand the nature of vasanas. That's covered in the next verse. Any questions? Yeah, Your nature is based on your personality, right? That's right. Exactly, you're right, personality. Yeah. Well, but the personality is based on the three gunas. Okay, and then you're surrounded by lots of other personalities and their nature. So yeah. everybody is interacting with each other. So you're going to have some of that to deal with as well. In, Absolutely. In your own. So it's not simple, is it really? Nothing simple. <laughs> if it is, if, it, if you think it's simple, then there's an issue. It's not simple. You're fighting your own personality. How can it be simple? 40 years or 50 years or 30 years, you've been the same person. And now someone is saying to you, Krishna is saying to you, hang on. This is what you need to do in life. This is the reason for your, your, the reason why you're born. This is how you need to do it. It goes against all your principles. You're fighting your own personality. She's she asking, Vasana is supposed to be a DNA. How can you alter your DNA? So we said we can eradicate our Vasanas. I gave the example of DNA in a specific context last time. Yeah, you cannot change your DNA. But the context I gave that was different than you're asking me now. So, question. Vasanas yeah. are your thoughts, your desires, your action. You can change that. Why can you change that since you've asked the question? So, why can we change our vasanas? Yeah. Why can we change? Why do we have the capacity to change our vasanas since we're on that? subject. Yeah, Ravi? Because we have the ability of choice, don't we, the intellect? Absolutely. We have free will. We have free will. When the mass, when the action, when the desire manifests, we have a choice to act on it or not. Only human beings have that choice. No animals have that choice. And that's what makes us different. So that's why we have the ability to change 
ourselves, our personality. Yeah, is that okay, everyone? So, uh, Hema. The second topic comprises verses 4 to 19. Is a long intellectual appeal to Arjuna to act. Krishna gives out the reason for action. He appeals logically to Arjuna's intellect to pull himself out of his neurotic state. He begins by stating that one does not gain enlightenment through inaction. The enlightened state is referred to here as neskarmiyam, which means actionlessness. People often misinterpret this verse and wrongly equate perfection to inactivity. Thus, in the name of religion, many seek resignation from activity. In this manner, idleness crept into the Hindu society. Idleness op opposes the very spirit of the chapter entitled the yoga of action. The confusion arose because of the word actionlessness. Action is the insignia of life. As long as one lives, one must act. The root of all actions originates in a person's vasnas, which are, which are his inherent tendencies, his innate bent, aptitude or urges. They thus define his in individual nature. Vasnas result from one's own past actions. Past actions produce present vasnas. Present vasnas produce further actions. Vasna is cause and action is effect. Again, action becomes the cause and Vasna the effect. This cycle continues indefinitely like the cause effect phenomena of tree and seed or hen and egg. Just one moment, Emma. So yeah. um, we've covered this before. Vasna's results from, all, from your own past actions, You're generating more Vasna's. So it's cause and effect. You put in the cause, you have the effect of more vasanas. The cycle continues like tree and seed, hen and egg. It's a continuous cycle. Even when you die, the next birth is taken up based on your previous vasanas. Any questions on that? Because I know there's some new people here. Yeah, great. Vasna, therefore, is the prime mover in the mechanism of action. Vasnas themselves remain unmanifest. Actions are the ultimate manifestation of Vasnas. In between these two extremes, Vasnas express themselves as thoughts and desires. In the chronology of action, Vasnas comes first, followed by thought, desire, and then action. As long as vasanas exist in an individual, thoughts, desires, and actions will constantly flow out of him. When vasanas have been exhausted, thoughts, desires, and actions cease. Thus, actionlessness refers to his state of total exhaustion of vasanas, the ultimate state of perfection. Actionlessness therefore means desirelessness or thoughtlessness or vasanalessness. Those ignorant of the chronology of action fail to understand it thus. They take actionlessness literally to mean abstinence from outward action, while vasanas remain unmanifest within. Consequently, they impose physical restraint and restrictions on themselves. They deny physical pleasures while desires linger within. Such practices led them only to suppression rather than the sublimation of personality. The purport and purpose of Vedanta aims at purification, at eradication of all vasanas, vasanas from a barrier between man and God. To attain God realization, you must wipe out the last trace of vasanas in you. Knowledge and practice of Vedanta helps you to achieve the state of enlightenment. Therefore, you cannot achieve that state of actionlessness by merely abandoning your present action or by avoiding fresh actions. Thank you, Hema. Wonderful. Does everyone understand that? 
Ce n'est pas. So you say you exist, your, all your vastness are gone, right? You still have to live because you're still propelling forward. So would there be still some vastness for you to carry on? Or once you've come to that point where you haven't got any left, you just die or how, like, where does Good that question. take you? Good question. Good question. So Vanita says, let's say after coming to these classes, reading the whole, studying the whole Bhagavad Gita, she goes to zero vasanas. She, she gets to the state of self-realization. What happens to her? Does she just drop dead? That's your question, right, Vanita? Anybody can answer that? Dharmesh, let, me, let everyone think for a minute. Before you before answer, what happens? Anyone? Take a guess. Someone take a guess. Dharmesh, go on. So, if we're traveling in the car at 90 miles an hour and suddenly we take our foot off the petrol, we're still going to go to zero, but it takes a long time. So, you're yeah. still held in the world, even if you have no vastness. And I think there's something called—I can't remember the name for it. You've told us before something like subvasana mm -hmm. that still exists. Okay, so we won't go into that sanjita vasnas. It's what you yes. well done, Damesh. So you're driving on the motor when you run out of petrol. What happens to the car? Does it suddenly stop? You're doing nine seventy. Well, I won't do ninety. I'll be doing seventy, Damesh. <laughs> I'm driving at 70 miles an hour and the petrol runs out. What happens? The car continues to move. Maybe go maybe another mile. Similarly, when you have zero, when you reach that state of vasanalessness or you've eradicated all your vasanas, there are still some vasanas which has to be eradicated and they go away naturally. And that's why people become self-realized and they're still alive. You know, these great sages, they reach that state and they tell us about it. Upanishads, all written by self-realized souls. So they've reached that state and they're still alive to tell us about it. But, um, but I'll explain that in another, at another time, yeah? Sanchita Vasnas. Anita, you wanted some clarification. So I read this thing and it said, I don't know who he was, a saint or a guru, and he kept one vasana. He, he's, I don't know if this is correct in my understanding, which was for food mm -hmm. because he wanted to carry on with whatever he was doing, his service mm -hmm. to humanity, I presume. And then his wife used to say, well, make, he'd say, make this food for me every day because he needed one vasana to hang on. Is that? similar type of thing you're saying that you still have a few vasanas left because of some reason or no there is no reason there is no reason you there just is no reason you have no option but you'll still have those few vasanas that will push yeah. you forward until just imagine a car no petrol but car keeps moving the momentum keeps keeps the car moving similarly the momentum of certain vasanas keep you moving even though you reach that state so you still have desires for something you don't really have any desires no fresh desires okay just a few is, is really well explained in another verse we'll cover it okay. but for now just accept that even with if you reach the state of self-realization vasanalessness thoughtlessness desirelessness actionlessness yeah there are still some uh, desires which are going to keep you going because if it wasn't the case, where would we get this philosophy from? Where would we get the Upanishads from? Upanishad is the result of sages reaching that state and telling us about it. How so you, can they tell us about it if they are no longer alive? So you have positive vasanas to do something, if, would you say, is that what you're trying to say? Like you could have vasanas that would help other people. There'll be nothing for yourself in them. Next verse. Okay. <laughs> what kind of vasanas will these sages who've reached that state will have? Next verse. Yeah. 
Good question. Any other questions? That's fine. Nahi kashitsanama pi jatu tishtat yakar makar karyate yavasakarma sarva prakati jegunai nahi kashitsanama pi jatu tishtat yakar makar Karyate yavasa karma sarva prakati jegune. None can ever remain inactive even for a moment. All are made to act helplessly, indeed, by the qualities born of prakati. Prakati means nature. So, therefore, it means everyone acts based on the qualities of their nature. nature. So Vasna manifests, what quality will that Vasna have? So law of nature is that everyone acts based on their Vasnas. Vasnas promotes action. Just like fire promotes heat, Ocean promotes waves. Rose gives fragrance. In the same way, vasanas promotes action. These actions are based on a person's inherent nature. So the quality of that action is based on their nature. You see, just an example popped in my head. I don't know how relevant this is. A vasana pops up, yeah? You want to build a shed. Will everyone build a shed in the same way? The vasana is to build a shed. Will everyone build it in the same way? Will everyone build it in the same time? So therefore, that would be based on their nature, how they build it. Does that make sense? The vasana is the same for all of us, for everyone. Well, let's say there's three people. Their vasana pops up to build a, a shed, but they will all build it differently based on their nature, even though the vasana is the same. And that is based on their personality, on their mental temperament. Does that make it reasonably clear, Deepa? Yeah? Okay. Actions are based on a person's inherent nature. There are three types of mental temperaments in humans. Each has a different character. And each human is a combination of all three. And some of you are aware of this. The three different qualities surfaces at different times of the day. The highest quality is sattvic. So the three qualities are sattvic, rajasic, tamasic. The highest quality is sattvic. This quality is highest in a sattvic person, reduced in a rajasic person, and less in a tamasic person. So the hierarchy is sattvic is the highest, rajasic is in the middle, tamasic is at the lowest quality. And this quality surfaces between 4 and 6 a.m. in all of us. The sattvic quality. That's why a sattvic person is propelled to get up during these hours. Automatically, they get up. They use that time to reflect, study. That's why we say study between this time. It increases that quality in you. the highest quality we can have. Then there's rajas, active, manifest between 6 a.m. and 6 p.m. During that period, we all perform actions, activity. Action, action, action throughout the day. We're running around as soon as we wake up. See, if you guys wake up at 7 o'clock, yeah? As soon as you get up, what time is it? 
get ready, have your breakfast, have your shower, whatever, get ready, go to work, you're running around, acting, 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 rajas. But if you had gotten up at five o'clock, you'd have been more serene, calm, open the book, you study, everything's more clearer to you because it's sattvic time, not rajasic time. As soon as it hits rajasic time, you start acting. And then the lowest is tamas, inactive, laziness. This quality manifests between the hours of 6 p.m. and 4 a.m. In the evening, it's a time when a person indulges sensual activities, drinking, lazing, inactivity, basically. Now, who has designed this? We don't know. But we're all made up of that, those three qualities. That's why you go to Las Vegas, everything begins at 6 p.m. They know it's Thomas' time for everyone. That's the time we need to get them when their sattvic and rajasic quality is low. That's why it's called Sin City. We commit sin after 6 p.m. So what do you need to do if you want to reduce your tamas? What do we need to do? Sashi. Increase your sattvic time. How? By decreasing your... Yeah, you're right, but how? I can say to you, do that, but how would you do that? Um, change your routine for the day. How? And engage more. So wake up earlier, uh, engage more in um, sattvic activities. How, and do you get up, how, how do you wake up early? Go to bed early. Thank you. You go to sleep early, we're reducing that tamas quality in us. Let's say you go to bed at 9.30, you have only had three and a half, half hours of tamas. You go to bed at midnight, you've had six hours of tamas. How are you going to wake up in the morning? You can't wake up early, so you're, in, you're not increasing your sattvic time. You're waking up late, so you're in rajasic time, and then in the evening you're back in tamas time. So there's no sattvic quality in you. How can you increase your sattvic time? Going to bed early. You go to bed early, you can get up early. You're not only reducing your tamas time, you're increasing your sattvic time. Ultimately, you want to get to 100% sattva. From there, you can reach the state of God realization. You can't reach there from tamas or rajas. So we're all made up of these three qualities. A person could be 50% sattvic, 40% rajas, 10% tamas. A person could be 90% tamas, 10% rajas, 0% sattvic. You have to decide what are you. Any questions on that? Does that, does that make sense? Is there any clarification? It's important that you understand that. You're made up of these three qualities, everyone. So, as I said, three people, they need to build a shed. One person is sattvic, 50% sattvic, 40% rajasic, 10% tamasic. The other person is less sattvic, more tamasic. Who's going to build a shed quicker? Who's going to build it? Tamasic is lazy. Is he going to build it? It might take three months to build it, maybe six months. A person with sattvic and rajasic will think clearly, act on it, and build it perfectly. So everyone has no choice but in acting based on their nature. Someone is lazy, we understand that quality tamas in them is greater than the other two qualities. You know, we say, hey, get up, get up, you lazy. 
You know, how long are you going to stay in bed? He's a tamasic person. You understand? He's a tamasic person. Person's running around all day. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. Let me do this. Rajasic person. Action, action, action. That quality is greater in them. Someone is quiet, wakes up early, studies, thinks before he acts, does always good action. You know he has a high sattvic quality in them. So now you have an understanding of a person's nature. So rather than saying to someone, oh, you're lazy, you understand his tamasic. Help them to come out of it. Make sense, everyone? Reasonably clear? Okay. Still has a question. So I know that we have, we're made up of you know, a percentage of one or the other. Mm -hmm. Does being in close proximity of somebody that is of a certain nature predominantly affect the person that they're living with? Or does it rub off on them? Or, you know, so for example, a household that you live in is all, you know, all action and logistic and, you know, um, but your inherent nature is quite different. Um, would that affect others around you and, and you know, possibly change or not? Who you, who you hang around with affects your personality. Unless you build up enough knowledge to, make a, to create a barrier between you and them. Through understanding. I know this person's rajasic. I know this person's tamasic in my house. I'm not gonna be affected by that. But yes, who you hang around with, who you associate with has a strong influence. I used to go Vegas every year. Now I ended up for three years in an ashram and studying Vedanta because of Sittal, her strong spiritual influence. So hanging around with her has turned me into this. If she was more tamasic, I'd be a lazy person now. So this is how it works. This is a true example, by the way. People who know me will understand. This is what happens. You hang around with sattvic people, you automatically become sattvic. So be careful who you hang around with. But there's this thing about inherent nature, okay, and your cause and effect. So one could argue that you already had that within you. It just needed to surface at the right time. Yeah, absolutely. Vas so, yeah, nothing to do with that. Manifest, but you can increase your vasanas, you see? So you hang around with a tamasic or a jasic person, you're increasing those vasanas. The sattvic vasanas are suppressed, even though you may have them. We hang around with a sattvic person, then what's going to manifest? Sattvic nature in you. See, I studied in the ashram for three years. The bell goes at four o'clock. I have a choice to wake up or not to wake up. But everyone is woken up and I'm the only one in bed. How am I going to feel? Eventually, I'm going to wake up as well, isn't it? So that sattvic nature of everyone has influenced my tamasic nature. And I'm now waking up at four. Sattvic nature. You see how it, so it influences you, the environment you're at, people you hang around with. All these things influence your nature. So the idea is that if we understand these then we can put an effort to increase our sattva quality and reduce the other two qualities. We have to actively do that. So eventually sattva will replace tamas and rajas. What remains is pure sattva. And then one can pursue enlightenment. And the knowledge of Vedanta can help to reduce your tamas and your rajas and increase sattva quality in everyone. This is the purpose of this subject. Reduce your vasanas, increase the quality of sattva in you. Now, Vanita, the person's reached self-realization. 
He has only Sanchita Vasnas left propelling him. What kind of Vasnas will they be? Of what nature? Sattvic nature. Thank you. Sattvic nature. That's all that will remain. So he'll be doing only spiritual things, helping people. Influencing people to increase their sattva qualities. Good. That makes sense. Yes. Because you still have to have something to be alive, isn't it? Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Any questions on that? None can remain without performing action, even for a moment. As long as there are vasanas within, they drive an individu individual to activity. The types of activities will depend upon the qualities, gunas, of the vasanas promoting them. Vasanas for music will steer a person to performance of music. Vasanas for sports will drive him to watch or participate in the sports field. Thus, different vasanas propel people to different realms of activity. The word gunas refers to the three main classifications of vasanas. Vasanas manifest as these three distinct temperaments or thought textures. Number one, tamas, inactive. Number two, rajas, active. Number three, sattva, transactive. Tamas is the state of ignorance and inertia. In this state, one is indolent, indifferent, indisposed to activity. A tamasika person has neither intellectual convictions to carry out nor emotional feelings to manifest. He lives a dull and inactive life. Rajas is the state of passion, desire and agitation. A rajasika person is fully involved in his worldly experiences. He fixes his interest and attention on the acquisition and enjoyment of worldly objects. His mind remains restless with ever vacillating emotions. He bristles with relentless desire prompted activities. Sattva is a state of equanimous, serene and poised thoughts. A sattvika person is contemplative. His mind never strays from the supreme truth. It remains detached from all worldly transactions and excitements. It transcends all actions. Hence, sattva is referred to as the transactive state. One moment, Arunabhin. So, a sattvic person, his attention is always on the self. And that's why it's referred to as a transactive state, meaning you can only trans into self-realization from the sattvic state. Yeah, you can only reach that state of enlightenment from the sattva stage because it's called transactive. Thank you, Arunabhan, carry on. Every individual's personality consists of all three types of thought structures. They mix together in different proportions in each individual. Each guna in a person manifests at different times of the day. The law of nature is that sattva manifests in the early hours of the morning, between 4 and 6 a.m. The sattvika time, called Brahma Muhurata, is considered the best time for spiritual study, contemplation, and meditation. Rajas expresses itself during the course of the day. Tamas during the latter part of the evening and night. This law holds good for one and all. Thus, one can promote sattva in oneself and best plan one's activities according to this daily cycle. Whatever their nature and quality, one's vasanas drive one helplessly to act in accordance with them. Thank you. See one word there. Sattva manifests in the early hours of the morning between 4 and 6 a.m. The sattvika time called Brahma Murata. Everyone knows what Murat means. It means a particular time when you should do certain things. Correct? You do a wedding or you do a, a, a arti or puja or in the house. There's a certain Murat 
a time that we all adhere to to do that. This is good time, this is bad time. You all know that. So sattvic time is Brahma Murata, meaning you can think of Brahman. It's conducive to think of the self, God, Atman, Brahma. That's why it's called Brahma Murata. So if you want to study this subject, think of the self, that is the time to do it. Is that okay? Everyone, does that make sense? Okay. No question? Yeah. Sorry. Uh, so I, I just want to clarify. Does, does the three temperaments is what... I know that there's, they're classified with different timings, mm -hmm. okay? But is one relatively stronger than another? So, for example, why... So we live together, right? And you're saying that um, you feel that my inherent nature maybe had an effect on you mm -hmm. but why is it that you know you feel that you became more sattvic and whatever or but I didn't come up become rajasic like you why was it that I wasn't influenced by your temperament and your nature because you know that could have easily happened as well so is there a correlation of strength of one or the other because sattvic nature is a higher quality than the rajasic nature. So therefore, your sattvic nature would be stronger. Therefore, you will say, no, I'm not going to act on that. See? So I've, I've had to give in to you, because mine's a weaker nature, rajasic. Okay. So, there is, so there is this inherency yes. of one being stronger than the other. Once you reach that higher state of sattva, are you going to go back into laziness? Very difficult, very, very difficult. You've reached that state, you understand that state. You're happy, content. You understand what life is all about. You're not going to fall back into tamas. Regardless of the company. Yeah, regardless of the company you keep. You carry on. My bedtime is 9.30. I won't be coming with you tonight. You guys carry on. This is how you will behave. No matter how much they influence you. Because that sattva is strong in you. Is that okay? Does everyone understand Sittle's question? You cannot reach, you cannot get to a level of education and then fall back down to being uneducated. You know, you cannot get to if you reach, you get a degree, yeah, at 25, you get a degree. You cannot go to the age of 10 again where you didn't know how to read and write properly. You've reached that level, hard to go back down again. Any questions? Okay, last verse will do. Karmendriyani samyamya yasaste manasasmaran indriyatan vimudatma mithyacharasa uchyate karmendriyani samyamya yasaste manasasmaran indriyatan vimudatma he who restraining the organs of action sits mentally indulging in the sense objects. He of deluded understanding is called a hypocrite. This is a very interesting verse. As we said, vasanas produce actions. By the way, this word Vimudatma on the second line, Vimudatma means fool. Okay, Krishna is saying you fools. <laughs> so he said, Vasanas produce actions. So we have no choice but to act in life. We're forced to act. We've already agreed on that, yes, from before. We have to act because of our Vasanas. So what if a person physically restrains themselves from acting? even though they entertain the thoughts and have desires, 
meaning they're indulging at the mental level. You have a vasana, it becomes a thought, manifests as desire, but you don't act on it. But they're indulging at the mental level. Krishna says, this person is a hypocrite. You have a desire to see a movie, but you force yourself not to go in the name of religion or spiritual development. But mentally you're wondering what the movie must be like. You read the reviews on IMBD, ask your friends, what was it like? You're mentally indulging in it. You have a desire to go to a particular restaurant. I must not go because my religious sayings, you can't eat outside food. In your mind, you're thinking what it must be like to eat there, the food there, what it must taste like. You read the reviews, you ask people who've been there, what was it like? So internally, you desire these things. You indulge mentally, but externally, you don't show it. You're withdrawn. This person is deluded. You have a vasana for the object or for the experience. You have thoughts about it, desire for it. Physical level, you abstain from it. It's like a person does not talk. He takes a vow of silence. Yeah, you take a vow of silence, but you write everything down. <laughs> Instead of talking, you write everything down. That's what it means. So many religious people, they do this. They put on the ochre robe, orange robe. They take vows, join an ashram, join a movement. But they're not ready for it because inside they still have a lot of vasanas. Krishna says this person does not have a proper understanding of the higher values of life. Does not understand the meaning of the self. And this person is regarded as a colossal fool. Not just a fool. Mudatma means fool. Vimud, vivu atma means colossal fool. <laughs> so Krishna is just not saying fool, he's saying colossal fool. Krishna does not like to use bad words. So you have to take this, his words seriously here. What's he trying to say? It's not like Lord Krishna to say you're a fool. You have to think, what is this Krishna's meaning here? So he used this, this term to show that as a human, we have the potential to reach the highest state. You know, only a human being can reach that state of enlightenment. But instead, we remain at the level of the senses, at the level of sense objects. We don't make use of our capacity to reach the self. So what are we? We're a fool. We have a body, a human body. We have the scriptures teaching us how to get there. Lord Krishna himself telling us how to reach that goal. We don't follow it. We're a fool. This is what he's saying. So the question arises, if we go out and indulge, party, drink, you're regarded as an indulgent person. If you don't go out and indulge, but have a desire for it, you're a hypocrite. And what do you do? We'll wait for next Sunday's class to find out. It's in the next verse. <laughs> verse 7 has the answer. Any questions? Okay. Anything? Human beings are drawn to action helplessly according to their inherent nature, vasanas. But a person who merely restrains his physical senses and actions while continuing to entertain sensual and material desires is termed a hypocrite. Vasanas, the seed of human personality, manifests as thoughts, desires and actions. As long as vasanas exist, they forcefully express themselves as thoughts and desires to the extent they express themselves as the oh sorry yeah. to the extent they express themselves as thoughts and desires 
an individual has no power to contain them, but he can curtail their future manifestation to the physical level by restraining his organs of perception and action. If he forcefully, forcefully, forcefully restrains himself in this manner, he will still desire the objects of the world inwardly through external, though externally withdrawn. He, he will mentally indulge even though he physically abstains. Many, particularly among the religious, lead this double life. They put on the garb of an aesthetic and internally entertain material and sensual desires. Such impersonators are the real destroyers of religion. They are, they are deluded. They have no concept of the higher values of life, much less the glory and grandeur of the self within. They have lost themselves in the quagmire. Sorry. Um, the quagmire of the self within. They have lost themselves in the. Hold on a second. Sorry. Lost themselves in the quagmire of materiality and sensuality. Yeah. Sorry. Okay. My, my family is just bombarded me. So. I'll, I'll, I'll continue. Yeah. This okay. verse addresses such a person as Vimudatma. Mudatma means fall. Vimudatma is a colossal fall. Krishna does not mean to condemn such people. In fact, the Sastras, scriptures, often use the word fool to indicate man's great potential to reach the Supreme. The human being alone is endowed with the wonderful opportunity to realize and revel in the absolute bliss of the self. But he fritters away such a unique opportunity for the sake of trivial joys of the flesh. Calling someone a fool actually places him on a high pedestal compared to all other creatures. Take the example of a great tennis player playing for a world title. He reaches match point. If he wins that one point, he wins the match and the title. However, he makes a careless error, drops that crucial point and goes on to lose the match. His friends remarked that he was a fool for losing the title. Fool refers to his failure to live up to his great potential to reach the highest. Likewise, the sages recognize human beings relative closeness to divinity. They regarded those who neglect the opportunity to reach it as fools. On that note, any questions? So what it means is that we all have a potential. And especially all of you who are coming to the class, you're being shown the way by Lord Krishna. You've got no excuses, sorry. An ignorant person, you can say he doesn't, he doesn't know. But once you start, once you know, then Krishna is saying you're a fool. I'm giving you this knowledge, you know, acting on it. Colossal fool. Great. Okay, if there's no questions, we'll continue next week. Thank you. Have a great day.